Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me. I am so glad to share this time with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you can always get the next episode. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Everyone has something or someone they care about. They're a fan of it, or they're obsessed with it, or perhaps we just like to say, well, I'm in love. I just just love that person. I just love that thing so very much. Perhaps you've heard the term audiophile. A person who loves high-quality music. Not just good music, but music presented in the best uh, audio quality possible. Now, this week has been a tough one for Anglophiles, uh, those who admire England with the passing of Queen Elizabeth. I did see this. I I tried to steer clear of all the humor and things, but I did see this. Being in Ohio, uh, quite the funny little joke here about the longevity of the queen. It said, the queen's reign saw six popes, 14 U.S. presidents, and 59 different starting quarterbacks for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, we haven't figured out how to fix that one yet. (sighs) But what is it that you love? What is it that you are a fan of? Is there anything you have an obsession with? Here's a list of words that describe that sort of obsession, that fondness, that love that people can have for certain things. Here's a word, bibliophile. That is someone who loves or is fond of books. A felinophile, fondness for cats. Ah, here's one, brontophile. Fondness for thunder and lightning. (laughs) I think that's me a little bit, and my father certainly loves it when there's a thunderstorm that rolls through. Agoraphile. This is not me. An agoraphile is someone who is fond of being in crowded or public places like markets. I don't really like that. I don't mind a crowd, but I'm not fond of it. I don't love it. Perhaps you've heard of the opposite, which is agoraphobia. That's not me either, but that's fear of crowded places, especially if it would cause you embarrassment. A frigophile is someone who is fond of the cold or cold things. Now, forgive me. I might not pronounce all these very well. This one I can pronounce. An arachnophile, someone who loves spiders. Huh. This one I can recognize the Greek in it, but it's hard for me to say. Didaskalaf. Let me say it again. Didaskalainophile. That is someone who loves school. That's not my son Seth. He enjoys school, and sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't love it. Ah, every pastor loves this one. A homilophile. Someone who loves homilies or sermons. There's an octophile, someone who's in love with the number eight. And this one, <laughs> I don't even know if I should know if I should try to pronounce it. I'll try it again here. I did it earlier. A hippopotamonstrosesquiptaliophile. I know I didn't say that correctly. It's a long word, 35 letters long, and the word does mean someone who loves long words. And then there's anthrophile or anthropophile, someone who loves people. 
And today I want to draw your attention to the ultimate anthropophile, God. He loves you and he loves me. He loves all people dearly. And our text today tells of his love for us, his big love for us, and what that love does for us. God loves you deeply. And if you would receive that love through Jesus, the one who died and was raised to pay for your sins, that love, that deep love, gives you privilege. It's privilege to be a child of God. And that's what I want to talk about today, being a child of God and God's love for us. Being a being God's child is a treasure. It's a responsibility, and it's something that our world cannot understand, and so we need to wrestle with that a little bit. So, our text today is a short one. It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and it reads like this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So, first, I need you to hear and see today the Father's love for you. God has deep love for you. And I know, I know, I don't just believe, I know that we humans have a hard time understanding God's love for us. And that's often because, firstly, we don't understand love. We think of love as a feeling, but biblical love is a decision. You decide to love even when you don't feel like loving. The best advice I can give for any of you who has a relationship that's struggling, whether it's husband or wife or with your children or with a coworker or any sort of human relationship, if you want to make that relationship stronger, decide to love that person even when you don't feel like it. That decision will transform the relationship. Another reason we struggle to comprehend God's love for us is that phrase is so common to say God loves you. That, that's something our culture just throws around all the time, maybe a little less so now than it used to, but God loves you. You're likely to hear those words often, especially if you're a Christian or if you're around church culture, and when something becomes so common, we forget its value. We can also struggle to comprehend God's love because, well, the devil, he lies to us constantly about what that love really is. He would love for us, he, maybe a bad choice of words for me, the devil would just be thrilled for us to fail to comprehend God's love. And so, he lies all the time about love and about God's love for us and what we must do to get that love. And love can be hard to comprehend when those who are supposed to love you fail to do so. I know when I speak of the Heavenly Father's love for you, some of you struggle deeply with those words because of what your earthly father has done or failed to do. For you, I would say simply this, God can show you what a father's love is supposed to be. A father's love is restorative, it's unwavering, it's boundless, and it's inexhaustible. And if your earthly father struggled with that, God can show you that love as your heavenly father. I was talking to Betsy about this passage, and she said, well, that's one thing, something that's wonderful about God's love. It fills the past, it fills the present, and it fills the future. God already had a plan for us as humanity wrestled with sin in the past. Even before sin happened, he had a plan. So, the past wasn't a problem. And he wants you to know his love now. And his love for you is full of promise for the future in eternity in heaven. 
God loves us. And in the face of how difficult we might be to love, He still loves us. He sees how precious we are and that each one of us deserve far greater love than we get from this world. There's a story that I think shows love when someone's hard to love, but they need it. It goes like this. Patty and Bruce were feeling a tug from Jesus, and they welcomed a four-year-old foster child into their home. Originally, the child welfare organization told them that Jonathan would be staying with them and their four other children for about a month. Five months later, after a couple of attempts to place him back with his mother, he was still living with Patty and Bruce. The process had been messy and complicated. The little boy is sweet charming and winsome at times, but angry and confused at at other times. Sometimes he cuddles and hugs, but other times he acts out yelling, scratching, hitting, and even biting. Patty and Bruce love this child, even as he tries their patience, even as they sometimes despair over the difficulties his birth family faces with poverty and illness and so on. When they tuck him in at night, they ask him, Jonathan, When God looks at you, what does he say? And they have taught him to answer. He says, I sure do love that little boy. Love is transforming that little child. And and God's love can transform each one of us if we will let it. And sometimes we fight that love, but he loves us anyway. Last week... In our study in 1 John, we read about how God commands Christians with the phrase, do not love the world. And we talked about how God is warning you about where you place your love. And I mentioned that love leads to allegiance. Allegiance and love, they cannot be separated. And if you need to, you can take out allegiance and put in the word devotion. And so, you and I must be careful about what we love because it builds allegiance and devotion But if that's true, then there's also a blessing in that warning because wrapped up in love, there's devotion. And when it's focused in the right direction, it builds healthy and important relationships. So, knowing that God loves you means He is devoted to you. He is for you. And so, we read the phrase today. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. God's love for you bears with it a deep bond, a gift that is adoption into his family. And so, I need to talk about not just that God loves you, but that he calls you his child. If you are a Christian, if you would follow Jesus, you get to be a child of God. Now, our world is obsessed with identity. You name it, and our world says it'll shape your identity from whether it's ethnicity or gender or age or sexuality or politics, your career, your education, your health, even the sports team you like. We even gain identity from the movies and books we read and love. You could be a Marvel or DC or Star Wars or Star Trek or Harry Potter or even a Lord of the Rings fan, and part of that fandom is how we identify people. It's strange what we do in our world. Our society, even now, identifies by generations. There's boomers and builders and Generation X and millennials and Generation Z. And When did we stop being part of the human family and become a closer family to those of the same age? It's strange. Our culture loves to label people. And we use words like attractive, successful, smart, and winner. But then there's the other side, which is ugly and failure and dumb and loser. Labels can transform us for the better or for the worse. They can be painful. 
and the weight of those labels is more than you were meant to bear. 1 John 3.1 tells you that you and me, that we can take up a new label, a new identity, child of God. Now, child is one of the very first labels put on each one of us in life. We are someone's son or daughter. Being a child means we are part of a family. We're being born. Family is that precious bond that is incredible when it works the way it's supposed to, and it's catastrophic when it fails. This week, we have seen one of the most famous families in the world put on display. The Queen of England has died, and now there is a buzz about what will happen to the rest of the royals, their lives, their scandals, their struggles. Their struggles to remain close are all on display. Seeing the royal family might make you wonder if you want to be called a child of the king. And yeah, human families can be very difficult. Some of us want to get away from our family. <laughs> Here's a funny joke. A man went on vacation. You might not think it's funny. It, it got me, so I'm putting it in a sermon here. A man went on vacation to the Holy Land with his wife and her mother, while in Israel, the mother-in-law died from a heart attack. The, the couple went to a local undertaker who explained that they could either ship the body home, which would cost at the time about $1,500, so it must have been a while ago, or they could bury her right there in the Holy Land for only $150. The man said, we will ship her home. Surprised, the undertaker responded, are you sure? That's an awfully big expense and we can do a very nice burial here. The man said, look, 2,000 years ago, they buried a guy here, and three days later, he rose from the dead, and I just can't take the chance. Mm, what an awful joke that is. We do love our mother-in-laws. All of us do. But your family. Love them or can't stand them. Family is essential to our well-being. Augustine of Hippo says this, peace in society depends upon peace in the family. So he knew family was important. Mother Teresa says this, what you can do to what can you do to promote peace in the world? Go home and love your family. We need family. We need to do family well. So despite how good or how or perhaps how bad your family is, God has in store for you the benefit of being part of his family. Now, being a child of God is an immense privilege. Now, our world gives prestige to college educations, to careers, to membership, to certain organizations. Perhaps you've enjoyed recognitions for some sort of accomplishments, and such recognition is dependent on your achievements. Adoption into God's family is not our achievement, but God's choice, and it's His gift of grace. He does not simply call us children. We really are his children when we receive Jesus. Romans eight fourteen through 17 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. William Barclay writes these words, It is by God's gift that we become God's children. By nature, we are a creature of God. By grace, we are children. What a great mystery. It's beyond our understanding that God's only Son, Jesus, died for our sins and rose from the grave so that we could become sons and daughters of God. 
Now, I said that being a child of God is a privilege, and I know that the word privilege is a loaded one in our culture today. Any more privilege is almost frowned upon. And I know it's a frowned upon word. It's used to represent injustice and unfairness. We almost forget that it's a good thing, or we feel ashamed at the benefit of privilege. But it's important that we know that it is a privilege to be a child of God. Andy Crouch writes about a moment when he experienced privilege. Now, whether you like what he writes or don't, it is the power of privilege. In January of 1999, he writes, I was flying on uh, Saudi Arabian Airlines from Mumbai, India, to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and then onward to London. I arrived at the Mumbai airport in a to find a long line. Perhaps 75 people were waiting to check in, and nearly everyone was an Indian man with a very small suitcase. Like all lines in India, this one was packed closely together, and we were all sweating in the midday heat, but I was fairly, but I was fairly sure the plane would not take off without us, so I was in no great hurry. As the single ticket agent agent checked in each traveler at a far-off counter, I prepared myself for a long wait. I had been in line for under five minutes when the agent came out from behind the counter, walked down the line until he came to my spot and said, come with me. When you're several thousand miles from home and the airline agent says, says something like that, you obey. So I followed him up to the front of the line, past all 75 Indian people in their, with their suitcases. And without another word, he took my passport, examined it, printed out a boarding pass and said, you may go. When I realized that I had been just singled out and effectively ordered to cut in line, I was shocked, not to mention embarrassed. I felt a momentary urge to make a small speech. I didn't ask for this. Flushed with surprise and embarrassment, I could not detect the slightest surprise or discomfort in that line of men. It gradually dawned on me that not only were they not surprised that I had been ushered to the front of the line, they had expected it the moment that I arrived. They knew something that I was only beginning to understand, the power of privilege. Hmm. Now that's human privilege. That's created privilege. That's privilege that means that someone has to give up something in order for another to get in the Christian faith, there resides the greatest of all privileges available to humanity or any creature. We didn't force anyone down to receive such privilege. Jesus chose to lower himself so that we could be redeemed and given membership into God's family. I was listening to a sermon a few weeks ago uh, about Jesus by Louis Giglio, and he was speaking about the exclusivity of Christianity. And actually, what he was addressing was the general uh, thinking or opinion in our culture today that Christianity is a faith that excludes people, that it keeps people out. And that. Uh, and what he actually had to say was, and I agree with him, Christianity is incredibly inclusive and exclusive. That is to say, salvation is available to all, to anyone who believe in Jesus, but it's exclusive that it has a given, that that salvation is given by a very specific pathway, meaning Jesus alone. Anyone can receive, but you can only receive by belief and confession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So, Christianity is exclusive and inclusive. It's adoption into God's family. And I want to talk a little bit more about adoption into God's family. God, huh, this is something that I think we need to take comfort in. God has chosen to adopt you into his family. 
And so being a part of his family is permanent. That is to say, God's not going to wake up one day and go, you know, I changed my mind. I think we're done. Nah, once you become part of God's family, you are his child forever. That doesn't change. Now, he does let you walk away and reject him. And we know so many children that reject their parents. But his adoption is permanent. It's not on his part that the adoption erodes or goes away. It's on our part if we would reject Christ. Now, the enemy would love for you to give up, to feel shame, to be tired of this privilege, or even misunderstand it. He wants you to walk away from God's great gift to you. Don't do that. Last thing I want to mention just real quickly is that the children of God are confusing to the world. Here's a little story about Pablo Picasso, the abstract artist. If you've ever seen any of his paintings, I'd encourage you to. They are uh, wonderful masterpieces, and yet they are different. I had one art teacher in high school who tried to explain Pablo Picasso's works, why they look so fragmented. They said that Pablo Picasso was obsessed with time, that he wanted to show all sides of the human face at one time. So that's why it would look so... um, blocky and distorted. He was trying to show everything in one moment. Uh, But here's a, a funny joke about Pablo Picasso. At one point in his life, the famous modern artist Pablo Picasso was robbed in his French home. He told the police that he'd be happy to paint them a picture of the robbers. And the French police said later, on the strength of that picture, we arrested a mother superior, a government minister, a washing machine, and the Eiffel Tower. Ha. Yeah, his paintings are wonderful and yet confusing. And our world is confused when it comes to knowing God and knowing the people of God. 1 John 3, 1 fills us with the uplifting promise of being a child of God, but also warns us that the world around us will not recognize us, will not know us. And this is simply because those who do not know God cannot know his children. So we should not be surprised when a non-Christian is frustrated or confused by the behavior of Christians. One example, there's a backlash, and maybe you've heard it this week, maybe you haven't heard it this week. There's a backlash against that little phrase, my thoughts and prayers are with you. People are so angry at Christianity or so ignorant of what it is, they don't know, and so they want to run away from that phrase, thoughts and prayers, not understanding that a Christian can seriously talk to God, can ask of God, and be blessed by God through prayer. That whole idea sounds quite strange to the non-Christian. And so, I would encourage you, be understanding that this world cannot know you as a Christian, cannot understand you as a Christian. Be understanding of it. Be gracious. Don't get angry with them because they can't understand you. But then do not back down from being a child of God. I've spoken that it is a privilege to be a child of God. But it is my experience that with privilege comes responsibility. As our children grow and gain more freedom, they must show that they can handle it. As they gain the ability to make and make more of their own decisions, they must show that they can make good decisions. And as they select friends, they are held accountable for the kinds of friends they keep, or at least they should be. And so it's true with us. Responsibility comes with being a child of God. 
I like these words by Marian Thompson in her commentary on 1 John. She says, It is our conduct, it is in our conduct that we make our claims to be God's children believable. Yeah, it's by how we live, it's by what we do as Christians that make our claims about God and claims to be God's children believable. Do not be surprised when a non-Christian doesn't recognize you or accept you or get angry with you, but also do not conduct yourself in a way that makes it harder for them to believe God. So, as we draw to a close, I want to bring us back to that picture of God's love for us, that deep, deep love. There's a story that I I just, this one I think is so good of a medieval monk. It, It goes like this. There's a certain medieval monk who announced that he would be preaching next Sunday evening on the love of God. And as the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered. In the darkness of the altar, the monk lighted a candle and carried it to the crucifix. That's a cross with the body of Christ on it, reenacting the crucifixion. First of all, he illuminated the crown of thorns, next the two wounded hands, and then the marks of the spear on his side. In the hush that fell, he blew out the candle, and he left the cathedral. There was nothing else to say. That is the love of God that Jesus would come to this world. Jesus, who is God, who is God's Son, who is all-powerful, the creator of everything, would lay his life down for you and for me. That's love. Today, if you're a Christian... Know that you're a child of God, deeply loved and adopted into His family. If you're not a Christian, I would invite you today to step into the family of God. You, this very day, can become a child of God, redeemed and full of the hope of heaven. John 1.12 tells us this, Yet to all who did receive Him, meaning Jesus, yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Will you believe in Jesus? Will you receive him as your Lord and Savior? Will you become his child? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your boundless love for each person. Help us each to comprehend that love more and more. And thank you for sending your son Jesus, that anyone who would believe in him would also be able to become your child. Lord, help us to know the gift of adoption into your family, to understand its wonder and its glory, its promise, and help us to live holy lives that help everyone around us to see Jesus clearly so that they too would want to know him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.